Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, joining you on this Tuesday edition of the show. Make sure real quick before we dive into this one, uh, go to YouTube, Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports. Look us up, hit subscribe, check out the show there as well. Highly encourage you guys to do that. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. All right, we are coming off film review uh, of Oregon's 48-7 win against Stony Brook. A look ahead to this weekend's opponent, Arizona. And we have also now gotten uh, some opportunities to speak with Oregon's head coach, Mario Cristobal, offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, and defensive coordinator, Tim DeRuiter. And I felt like we learned quite a bit in all three areas uh, of Oregon's football program um, from all three coaches. And I, I think probably the one that everyone wants us to start with is, is KT Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon's best player and probably the best player in college football, back this week? And then secondly, uh, what is Anthony Brown's injury? And Cristobal gave us good news with Anthony Brown, gave us the same news with Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Tim DeRuiter gave us really good news on Kayvon Thibodeau, um, and that is that Thibodeau is day-to-day, but he tried to play last week or wanted to play, tried to convince the staff to put him in, even on third-down situations. Um, the medical staff said no, but DeRuiter gave out the caveat that they hope to get him back this week. Chris Ball was obviously less committal to that, was much more he's the same as he always been, day-to-day, week-to-week. Um, but the Anthony Brown news is good. Anthony Brown says – he says that Anthony Brown should be good to go. Uh, it sounds like it's optimistic that he'll be back under center for the first snap against uh, Arizona when Oregon has the football first. Is this big news? Is this is this what we expect, you guys? I mean, or is this just kind of along the lines of, hey, we'll see when we believe it? I think – Tim DeRuiter probably – this is the last time he talks about injuries is my guess. I'm guessing Marty Christopher might have heard that interaction and kind of said, hey, that's not a thing that the assistant coach does. It's a head coach thing. Um, just a, just a, a thought maybe because I found it really weird. We learned more about Kayvon Thibodeau in 30 seconds of Tim DeRuiter talking about it than we have in two-plus weeks of Marty Cristobal talking about it. Um, so that was interesting. Uh the information there, I think, is actually really notable, especially what Trader said in terms of it sounds like, I mean, if he was pushing and wanting to play um, last weekend, I would think against Arizona to open Pac-12 play, the, the chances of him playing are pretty good. Um, you know, I, obviously, they can't guarantee anything. I think we, after we felt pretty confident he would play against Ohio State, you probably noticed we backed off a little just because I think we want to be very careful with with kind of how we address things going forward. We, had, we were pretty confident. We'd heard things that led us to believe Thibodeau would play in that game, and he didn't. Um, so like, I think I feel much better in saying, I, I think there's a good shot that Thibodeau plays, but we'll have to wait and hear what coach Cristobal says. But I think the thing with Brown was huge. I mean, like, I, I think that's really, really significant. I mean, obviously Oregon can win football games with a couple of different players at quarterback, we think, but we haven't seen it yet. And I think Oregon really wants to have its best quarterback on the field throughout this season. And that's Anthony Brown. And we'll talk about some of the comments made about Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield, which were very positive from Oregon staff today. But I think the leadoff news to me is Anthony Brown will be playing against Arizona. And that was an answer we weren't sure we'd get today, today being Monday. 
or even throughout this week, because I think we kind of maybe even said that we expected we'd be going into Saturday against Arizona going, is it going to be Brown or Thompson? Um, And as of Monday, we're feeling like it's pretty clearly Anthony Brown, unless something changes. Yeah, it was super interesting to actually hear that Mario came out and talked about Anthony Brown, but he didn't mention what the injury was. He just said that he was, he looked pretty good and that he has a good feeling that he's ready to go. Uh, So I'll still be interested to see, I don't know, if if it's a lower leg injury and Anthony Brown is limping around or something like that, like just trying to get an eye on and see what the potential injury might be. Maybe we'll find out later in the week from Mario on Wednesday, but uh, other injury notes, Cristobal mentioned that Keith Brown, Mace Funa, and Stephen Jones look good to go. Uh, He mentioned that uh, Keith Brown practiced yesterday on Sunday. Um, He mentioned that Braden Swinson is doubtful for this week, that he might be there here. He might take another week, but he's not sure that he should be. He's doubtful for Arizona. Um, All in all, it looks like Oregon might be turning the corner just a little bit health-wise which is really important. Um, no other in- injury updates on, on Justin Flo uh, from Cristobal today. I think we, we pretty much have hammered that one home and where he is. Um, but it was a, a lot of good news for Oregon going forward, especially at the linebacking core with Keith Brown being healthy. I, I look at the Swenson one. That was certainly a surprise to all of us when we showed up to the Stony Brook game. And I think it was Jared that maybe spotted him um, pregame when – the rest of the team had gone into the locker room to fully suit up and get ready. And he was just kind of walking around the stadium a little bit. He had a pretty significant limp. Um, and I'm not trying to downplay Braden Swinson because his impact has been very critical for Oregon. But if it's a case where Swinson maybe misses a game or maybe even two games, maybe he misses that Stanford game and comes back after the bye, but you get Kayvon Thibodeau back, maybe potentially for the Arizona game. And then again, for Stanford, um, Oregon still comes out ahead in in that regard, I think. And, and I'm not trying to downplay Swinson at all because he's a very good player now. And, and I think is going to turn into one of Oregon's key defensive players in the next few years. But Thibodeau's return, I think just jolts this entire defense up a notch. Um, it'll also be critical. I mean, I know a lot of fans have been, upset at the third down conversions, um, third and long, the lack of a pass rush. I think getting back a Kayvon Thibodeau, or even if they don't get him back for Arizona, but you get Mace Funa, you get Adrian Jackson back into the fold for Oregon, your defensive pass rush will still significantly be better than what it was and what they saw against uh, Stony Brook. Um, And we should also note that you know, Tim DeRuiter was honest and said, like, hey, we need to do a better job. And if we're not going to be able to, to get a pass rush with four guys, I've got to do something else and scheming something up to get pressure with more than four players so that we don't give up the third and 14 to the third and 15 passing plays. Um, and, and he also – and he's, he's fair to admit this too, is that he also said the first two weeks they've played really good passing teams. And so that's part of it. It's not an excuse, but that's part of it. And so, you know, he felt like that played a factor into the third and longs being converted. But he also was was admitting that, you know, they need to do a better job from a schematic standpoint if they're going to get pressure with just four guys. Kayvon Thibodeau to me is like adding a 
Kenny Wooten or a Jordan Bell to a defense of suddenly a huge component of it changes for the offense. Um, you know, you think about the way Oregon played Kansas in basketball and Jordan Bell blocks all those shots. Suddenly Kansas is shooting a lot more perimeter shots. I think it's similar for Kayvon Thibodeau for an opposing offense of when he is able to make the impact we expect him to make from a pass rush by himself and create that great double teams even to maybe so then the, the players around him have an easier shot of, of getting up field. Um, it is a huge difference maker having him out that we saw that firsthand against Fresno state of how dynamic that front looked for about a quarter. And it hasn't looked anything like it since, I mean, just straight up, it hasn't been anywhere near as explosive. So getting him back in some form, even if he's not a hundred percent is going to be huge. The opposing, it forces the opposing offense to prepare for him. It forces the opposing offense. To, if he is on the field, even not at a hundred percent to maybe double team, at least to have somebody else around him to chip to, to make it so it's not easy for him because he can win one-on-one matchups against everybody. So mm-hmm. this is, this is, would be, I mean, this would be massive. Him coming back is massive for this defense. It's massive in terms of getting after the quarterback. It's massive in terms of diminishing and, and eliminating long passes and eliminating. I just think, that, you know, it's going to make the job a lot easier for Oregon secondary. Again, it reminds me a lot of basketball where it's like you ask perimeter players, um, about playing defense with a with a, a guy at the rim who can really protect it, and it makes their job easier because they can be a little bit more aggressive in how they approach things because they know that there is some sort of a secondary option. So, and I understand it's not a perfect analogy, um, but it is an analogy I think that is sort of effective in conveying that I think like a Kayvon Thibodeau impacts a defense a lot more than just one player might impact a defense or an average player affects a defense. Um, and for Oregon, where you see the issues right now have been against the pass, I think this is huge. We should note the depth chart did come out, and Braden Swinson is not listed on the depth chart. Um, or, excuse me, he is. He's, he's buried down at the very bottom of, of the Sam spot. So, never mind. Uh, he is on the depth chart. But uh, to your point, Eric, um, Kayvon Thibodeau, is, it's almost like a defense playing with 12 guys instead of 11. Mm-hmm. That, that's how it feels like it's – in some instances, you're going to run over and make the plays. Um, Anthony Brown's injury, I think this is probably very best-case scenario, uh, him coming back. Because while Ty Thompson did play well, um, I think Joe Moorhead did say, like, it was a small sample size. Mark Ball did say it was a small sample size. You don't want to overreact too much. They did look good. The freshman quarterbacks did look good. They didn't, the moment didn't look too bright for them. But – that being said, I do think the offense is a little bit better with Anthony Brown at QB right now with everything that's at stake and, and whatnot. And I, I'd hate to see um, Oregon go into a road game here in two weeks without Anthony Brown. So it is, it's a real good positive that he should be back for the Arizona game. Yeah, it's a massive positive. Sorry, I was looking at the depth chart real quick. Um, yeah, Anthony Brown, I, um, you know, I talked about this today on, on my machinations column. You know, he, he had a great first half, and, and to hear that he's healthy enough and then uh, Mario Cristobal feels like he's good to go against Arizona is big. Um, it just provides consistency. And I think a lot of times consistency is totally uh, under like underutilized and not talked about enough when it comes to football and keeping a consistent 11 on both sides of the ball. Uh, to, so to have Anthony Brown back, and again, if, if like what we were talking about earlier, if Kayvon Thibodeau comes back, it just turns Oregon into 
you know, their, their best positional value when you have everybody fully healthy that you can, uh, you know, a couple guys are going to miss the year that always happens in football, but you know, for Brown to only miss a half, I think is, is, is lucky for Oregon. I think it's a great thing. Um, it could have been worse. We're still not sure what the actual injury is, but just missing a half. And then it, it seems like if he's good to go for this week, Brown might've been okay to play in the second half against Stony Brook, but they might've held him out. That's kind of what I'm thinking where, you know, they, they anticipated getting Ty Thompson in the game, no matter what. And when Brown was mildly hurt, they said, eh, we'll, we'll take our chances. We'll cut Ty loose see what he can do because they feel confident enough that they can have won that game regardless. You're not ready to go full conspiracy that there is no injury? And this was just to get the backups in? I think there was an injury. I'm just kidding. Uh, totally was an injury. But uh, uh, conspiracy there is not yet. We'll, we'll get there eventually, I'm sure, this year. Okay. Arizona now um, shifting gears here a little bit towards the Wildcats. This is a game – Eric kind of joked, like, is this going to be even a worse competition than Stony Brook, you know, on an earlier podcast this week. And, you know, there there was a joke by John Wilner of the Mercury News who covers the Pac-12 really well that Arizona's the worst team in the state of Arizona, and that state has two FBS teams. So um, this is a game in which I think – Oregon certainly respects their opponent. Oregon certainly has come out early on this week and have, has said, you know, very complimentary things. Um, that being said, we expect this game to be a pretty big blowout in favor of Oregon, at least right now. Um, but there are going to be some challenges to playing this team. They still have some Pac-12 players on its roster. Um, and I think probably the most challenging one could be who do you defend at quarterback? Because they've played a whole bunch of wide-ranging guys. And I think you asked Tim DeRuiter that question this week, Eric, of just how do you prepare for a team that's played so many guys already at that key important position? It's not even just so they played them. It's just there's even no clarity today which one they're going with because they've switched so much in game. It's really weird. And so just to, just to run this through for listeners, Arizona named Gunner Cruz, a Washington State transfer, their starter. He started the first two games. Midway through the San Diego State game, they pulled him, put in Will Plummer, younger brother of Jack Plummer, uh, the Purdue quarterback. Um, and Plummer played awesome and actually led them, not, not led them back, but played well enough to, to get a couple of you know, nice drives at the end through a touchdown pass. They then promote Plummer to the starter. He goes out against Northern Arizona and is just awful. I mean, really, really bad. You go watch the highlights. It's, it's tough. It's hard, it's hard viewing from a quarterback perspective. Just a lot of really bad plays. He throws a pick, by the way. Um, that Tyler Shuck's younger brother takes for a pick six. Um, that actually kind of flips that game. I don't know if that was kind of lost on me in the moment, but I went back and looked. Um, he then gets pulled for Jordan McLeod, the third quarterback, who's a South Florida transfer. McLeod comes in, goes six for seven. Same kind of thing as Plummer. Leads a late touchdown drive. And after the game, Fish, Jed Fish, the head coach at Arizona, says, I think maybe we'll go with McLeod. Uh, I mean, so there's, there's like – I mean, it's just kind of like – I, I think his quote was like, I'm tempted to roll with McLeod. And I'm going like, well, it seems like maybe you shouldn't have this dialogue, this internal dialogue with the media after the game, but here we are. Um, and so DeRuiter was at, yeah, it was kind of like, yeah, we don't know who it's it's going to be yet. And they're preparing for all three. Um, he did say he thinks the offense has stayed pretty pretty similar 
uh, regardless of which quarterback is out there. He did note that McLeod, um, the quarterback who played most recently, is a little bit more athletic, maybe more of a threat to run than the other two guys. So that might add another component for them to prepare for. But it doesn't sound like, aside from maybe some slight personnel differences between strengths of those quarterbacks, it doesn't sound like the offense changes too much. Um, the one constant, and I did bring this up with with the Reuter that I'll just add here for offensive perspective, is one of their receivers, Stanley Berryhill, number one on their team, um, has more touches than any running backs or other wide receivers on their team. I mean, it's kind of a unique thing where a receiver has 32 touches through three games. The most the running back has, I think, was 31 or 32. I think it might have been a tie. Um, but still, it's just unique. So he said that they are very aware of how important Barry Hill is. He's a, kind of the key cog of that offense. He's somebody you expect to see a lot out there. He says they're going to game plan specifically for him, so he's not one-on-one all the time, um, although he, they, they do feel confident so that they can defend him that way. But just the names to know here going into this week because I think, as Matt alluded to on our Monday Mailbag podcast, and we said even in the preseason, there's just not a lot of hype and not a lot of like household names on that Arizona team period. And there's just a couple to know. So I think it's going to be probably Plummer or McLeod at quarterback. Um, although Garrett, although Gunnar Cruz for my money had the best performance so far against BYU. If you go watch that highlight tape, he actually had some pretty good throws. Um, but it sounds like it's one of those two guys that, but regardless of who's at quarterback, Stanley Barry Hill's the name for Oregon fans to know he's by far the biggest and most, I guess, focal point of their offense. And he's their returner. Jared, offensively now, this team, um, there's a lot to improve upon, I think, um, week from week three to week four for Oregon. And I think Arizona is probably going to be another um, opponent where Oregon should be able to work through some things, get, you know, really hammer home some stuff. What are you looking for from an improvement standpoint? And, and kind of Cristobal talked about a little bit about this as well, just the improvements you want to keep seeing from program to program. Yeah, I mean, from a very general perspective, you'd, you'd like to see their execution continue to get better. Uh, I thought their execution against Stony Brook was pretty good, especially in the second half, actually. In the first half, you had a couple of miscommunications on the offensive line that ultimately led to uh, like the two sacks at the end against Anthony Brown. One of them was just a good blitz off the edge. The other, uh, they just let a free rusher get into Brown. But execution is going to be number one for me. Um, if if Anthony Brown is good to go and we all kind of assume that he is, uh, I'd like to see them try to work the field vertically a lot more. I think Oregon's wide receivers have tried to go vertical. I think Anthony Brown has struggled to produce a good deep ball so far this year. Um, I'd like to just see him improve to other defenses in the future that, hey, if you guys want to play, uh, if you guys want to play press, you know, someone like Devin Williams or Troy Franklin or Michael Pittman are, are, are going to beat you. And I'm going to hit them as they, as they go down the field. So I'd really like to see that uh, asset come out of Anthony Brown's package. Um, as far as other offensive highlights, uh, just continue to run the rock well, you know, uh, get C.J. Verdell going early. Uh, he didn't play too many snaps against Stony Brook, but I think that was by design, um, which kind of leads me to, into, into another topic where, you know, I wouldn't, I, I would kind of like to see another running back get some reps, whether yeah. that be Trey Benson or, or Byron Cardwell. Um, I, like, Dye and Verdell are so valuable to this team. 
that to run them out there basically on every single down, one of the two, um, I just feel like it could be a recipe for disaster at one point. And, you know, getting Benson and Cardwell or even Seven McGee some reps is obviously it's going to give the load off of Burdell and Dye's shoulders, but it's also going to give those two guys or three guys, depending on how many they play, the opportunity to get into a Power 5 game, conference game, get reps, get experience under their belts. And by by all means, in the in the second half against Stony Brook, they performed. So, and I really like the way Byron Cardwell and and uh, Trey Benson ran downhill. Very similar to CJ Burdell, but they're they're bigger people. Uh, Benson is listed at six one two ten. Like that's somebody you you want out there on the field and, and almost on any down. So, execution, deep ball threats, running the rock, uh, just like how it's been the last couple of years under Mario Cristobal's team. I just want them to. I would like to see them continue to execute at the high level and continue to play physical Oregon football. How do we look at this game? Because Crystal Ball called this a really good opponent. They're they're preparing they're preparing for you know, a packed house. It's an important game. You mentioned how you know the team is excited to get into conference play. You want to look good. Um, like is this a game? The point spreads come out, and Oregon is like a twenty-seven point favorite in this one. Um, is this a game that we should be sitting here thinking on a Tuesday, like, hey, they need to blow them out. They need to walk away with not only a convincing win, a dominating win, but it needs to be clear that these are two programs not even in the same stratosphere as one another. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, there's, I mean, you stack up what Arizona has done in the last couple of seasons, they're 0-15. You know, or I should say they've lost 15 straight. They aren't 0-15 in the last three seasons because they did win some games in 2019, but haven't won in a couple of years. And Oregon, conversely, wants to play for a national championship. Oregon has a roster full of fours and five stars. Arizona does not. Oregon at least seems to know who their quarterback is when he's healthy. Arizona doesn't. Um, I mean, there's just a ton of reasons to think these pro- these schools and these programs are at different footing right now. Um Heck, I can't think of the last time Oregon has lost to an FCS team. Um, Arizona did that last week. So there's just a lot of things that you look at here, and these programs are are not very close. They shouldn't be very close. Now, kind of comes back to expectations for what you, f- you know, feel is a dominating win. I felt 48-7 to over Stony Brook felt like that was pretty decisive. I think some fans – I think I saw one of the, the, the posts I saw was worst 48-7 win ever. Um, we saw that on Duck Territory. I think that was ridiculous. And then Matt, I thought very clearly, you know, kind of corrected that with his story, which said there's no such thing as a bad 48-7 victory, which is true. So um, I am very confident Oregon will win this game and win it, win it decisively. I think they'll probably cover or get very close to covering again. Um, how do we measure what, I guess, equates to living up to expectations is one thing. Sometimes the scoreboard doesn't tell the entire story. Um but I think we'll, I think we'll, I think we'll feel pretty good about this game, assuming Oregon in the second half is up so much that they're again able to play some of their reserves, whether it be the quarterback, whether it be at quarterback or running back, or I know defense, they kind of have to play some guys. But I, I'm going to measure the dominance of this win. Obviously, the scoreboard plays a role because you'd be silly to suggest it didn't. 
but based almost more on what the personnel decisions are in the second half and, and kind of who's out there than I am on what the score is. But yeah, I think to answer your question, that 100%, this needs to be a lopsided win. Yeah, I think it, I think it will be a lopsided win. I think a good barometer of success for Oregon this week against Arizona is, Eric, like what you were saying, is who gets in in the second half. Like are, are, are the starting 11 on both sides starting the second half? Or are they starting the fourth quarter? If they're starting the fourth quarter, then it might not be That's a successful bad. win in, in people's minds. Uh, I do think, like Arizona, Eric, you and I watched the highlights of it the other day. I do think that their defense isn't terrible. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're going to promote a, a good bit of competition and actually be uh, in the game for a long, for a little bit of time at least. And just give Anthony Brown different looks. Um, It'll be – it's tough to say, like, what's going to be the definition of success in a good win. But I think something similar in score value as the Stony Brook win might, might, might you know, pass the bar on that. But they're just – I don't have a, a lot of confidence that they're going to go out there and win, like, 56 to, to 7, something like that. I don't – I think this offense could explode at one point for that amount of points. I think it's going to be a little hard just because they don't take as many explosive plays – as some would like, as I would like, frankly. So to, the definition of success in this game is probably covering that 27-point 20, spread. I think if they win by 30 or 35, whatever the case may be, I think that'll be a good barometer. I think something to watch for in Cristobal, and I think Moore had both talked about it, was the frequency that Arizona likes to blitz. Um, it, we saw Oregon against Stony Brook that last possession of that first half where Oregon allowed back-to-back sacks. And that's, that's not a good sign for any game, but when you do it against an FCS opponent and they get back-to-back sacks on you, that that's kind of concerning. Um, it's obviously nothing where you're sitting here really freaking out, but if I'm Arizona, I see that. And if I'm already a team that likes the blitz quite a bit, I'm going to bring the house even more because what, what does Arizona have to lose? They, they're 0-3 to start the season. They've lost to an FCS in-state school. You know, they were already supposed to be a bad team. So if if they come out and they get blown out, it's it's what happened. It, it, it's, what, it's what's expected. You know, so I, I think that's probably for me going into this is what funky things are Arizona going to try and do uh, – on both sides of the football, and specifically defensively, because they already have a reputation of being uh, a little bit of a gambler. And that kind of creates what Jared was talking about, some situations where Oregon could potentially, if they throw the ball deep and take some take some risks and take some shots, there could be some home runs that, to be had here because of Arizona maybe selling out to get pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, they, they actually have the – Pac-12 leader in sacks. I know we're only three games in, and the best pass rusher in the conference is Kayvon Thibodeau, and he hasn't played more than a quarter so far. But Kion Bars, or Keon Bars, I don't know how you pronounce it, K-Y-O-N, um, for Arizona, does lead them in sacks. Two and a half right now. He's had at least half a sack in all three games. Active player at 295. He's an interior guy, so it's not like this is an exotic guy coming off the edge um, to get his sacks. Uh there is a good point there too, though. Of, of this is a team, you know, you just even going and watching their their highlights, it has given up some big plays. Um, it has, it, it honestly, has been really bad against the run. 
Um, <laughs> the San Diego State game in particular, just tons of missed tackles everywhere. Um, lots of long runs. I, I think it's an off, or it's a defense for Arizona that is definitely susceptible to be getting had and to be getting had for big plays. And part of it is stylistically how aggressive they have to be to go for that home run ball. You know, I mean, it is almost home run derby with them where you're going home run swing and sometimes you connect and it's a sack or it forces a turnover. But the other times you don't connect, which, by the way, you take a big swing, you don't always hit it. You don't hit it actually majority of the time. If you whiff, the result is somebody open downfield. Or if you blitz on a running play and you get outflanked, the result is a long touchdown run. And we've seen that happen already a lot to this Arizona defense. So um, good points for Matt, I think, in terms of this is an aggressive defense, something to be aware of, but also something that I do think makes them susceptible to be getting had for big plays, which this is an Oregon offense that I think has some home run hitters, um, but just Mm -hmm. hasn't really, (laughs) frankly, had those kind of swings to continue that analogy very much this season. And when they have, they've whiffed. So this might be the game to kind of land a couple of those. And maybe this is where finally Anthony Brown dials up a couple deep ones and Devin Williams and he connect on a pass. Because I know those two have been dying to do it. Matt, Jared and I have rewatched those games. There's probably been at least five or six this season. At least. Where at Devin least. has a step. And if you throw the ball out there to him, it's a touchdown. And it's either not been thrown or underthrown or thrown somewhere else. This is going to be another game in which – Oregon's going to be a heavy favorite. Uh, there's going to be a lot of interest in seeing, A, how big of a margin can Oregon create, B, who gets on into this game from a from a depth perspective, and probably C is, you know, do we get to see some return of some guys, and it sounds like we are. So this is setting up to be another interesting storyline game, uh, one that should be fun to cover. We'll all three be there at Austin Stadium. 7.30 kick on ESPN. Uh, so get your alarm set. It's going to be a late night. Make sure mm-hmm. to check out DuckTerritory.com for uh, all coverage leading up to this one and then as well, uh, day of as well. So thank you for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast, and we'll be back next week, later this week for more content on this game and more. Until then, thanks for listening. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.